Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new edition of Action Packed, your home for ACC football right here on the Fans First Sports Network. I am Corey Cohen, and with me is my co-host, Andy Pregler. Andy, how are you doing? You know, it's not been the best time for me with my orange-tinted ACC glasses, but the rest of the conference is still interesting, thriving. Uh, I am intrigued to see what we get up into after a couple weeks off, but uh, the ACC's kept rolling and we've got our first uh, college playoff rankings. We do. And uh, yeah, you're certainly not the only orange fan of an orange team that has been struggling uh, in these last couple weeks. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about a few of these teams over the last couple weeks, things that we've missed, things that we want to talk about, how their seasons have gone. And then we're going to preview three of the biggest ACC games coming up this weekend and then round out the top five in the ACC, our power rankings. So first, let's start talking about one of those orange teams and that the Clemson Tigers. Four and four Clemson Tigers. This season has just gotten out of control because, yeah, they lose to Duke in week one. Kind of an anomaly, kind of weird. Okay, whatever. Duke seemed really good. They lose to Florida State in overtime. Understandable, FSU is a great team. They seem to be back on track. Then they lose to Miami in double overtime. Not great, but Miami is pretty good. So, you know, okay. And then they lose at NC State. And things are just off the rails. It's a good chance they're going to have a losing record after this week because they've got Notre Dame. We'll talk about that later. But Dabo Sweeney, man, looking at his worst season in years, what do you think about what has happened to Clemson? I'm concerned but also not concerned because the issues at Clemson seemed apparent to Dabo a few weeks ago. He was really starting to hedge reporters after the Florida state game. You know, they got back on track with the win and, and the conversation wasn't really, Oh, we're going to make a challenge for the title game. It was Dabo pre talking about how the fan base had been a bit spoiled and how this team still needed to grow and progress almost as if he knew that there were, some warning flags coming. And I think it's been really obvious that this team, while still very good on defense, a good enough defense to win the ACC, I think in most years, the offense, if you look at SP plus, they're 41st in the country on offense. It's just not been there. And the quarterback came highly recruited. So the quarterback play should be there. It just hasn't been on an elite level to match the recruiting ranking of the quarterbacks. And a lot of this is due to two simple factors that have been warning flags for a while. The offensive line has not been nearly as dominant as it was back when Clemson was winning national titles. And even then, it was still not necessarily, you know, your SEC offensive line. And the wide receiver play just hasn't been there. Uh, as Clemson has always had NFL quality wide receivers. And this year, it's just very obvious that none of these guys are going to go there. Now, those are all concerning. It's just that if you look at where culture ball is going, those positions are very easily filled in the transfer portal, perhaps more so than any other position group in the sport. It just now becomes a moment of is Dabo Sweeney stubborn enough to go down in a blaze of glory in his refusal to use the transfer portal? Or does he dip his hand into the portal and say, look, I need some offensive linemen. I need some wide receivers. And I think with those two fixes, are they better than the machine that's being built down in Tallahassee? I don't know, but they're definitely better than what we have learned is the second tier of the ACC because every team that we thought was going to play Florida state in the title game has dropped games because of major weaknesses. Clemson has two major weaknesses that can be addressed through the portal. If they do that, I think next year they're probably contending for the ACC title. It's really that simple. It's just a matter of will the head coach actually make these changes? Yeah, this really is Dabo Sweeney's stubbornness finally come back to bite him. And as you said, it, it, so much is the offense, so much is is the quarterback, and it just has not worked on offense. And because of that, Clemson has fallen. Now, as you said, and we'll, we'll talk about it, but teams like North Carolina, teams like Miami that we thought would be incredible, even Duke, that beat Clemson, there's really no reason that Clemson should be worse than them. Those programs have not appeared to be anything particularly special. Clemson should be the second best team in this conference, and they aren't. 
The other thing that I'm wondering, we've talked a lot about personnel and about players, but another thing I'm wondering is about coaches because for a long time, Dabo Sweeney had two really good coordinators. And while the defense is is still excellent, uh, even though they uh, lost Brent Venables to Oklahoma a team uh, that just lost, they lost a couple other guys. They lost Tony Elliott, who's now a head coach. I mean, they, he, he lost some of these, these people who, at the time, you thought, yeah, they're they're very good at their job, but really, it's it's Dabo running the show, and if they leave, he'll just get someone else. And now, now I'm wondering, were they a bigger part of the success of Clemson? And maybe Dabo, maybe we sort of overrated him for a phenomenal six or so year stretch. And this is maybe okay, maybe not this bad, but you know, an eight nine win team is maybe more what he actually is. I think that that is a very fair critique and one that I also believe about Dabo and, and the program. Like I believe that he's always been a culture builder rather than a, a, a schematic builder. But if you look at what's happening right now, like the defense is fine. Like I, I'm not concerned about the defense. The offense is being coached by Garrett Riley, who was the top coordinator hire of the cycle, you know, brought that TCU offense from, middle of the big 12 to the national title game. I I think that when you look at what Clemson tries to do, it fits with what smart offenses are doing. It's just, they're operating as if they have a, you know, high powered sports car when in reality, they probably have a sedan. Uh, and that, that strategy and that operation, that, that operation manual is not the same. So I, I, think that the coordinator situation at Clemson is actually in a good spot if they can get the personnel right and but this is this is an interesting part here is that in college so much of what the coordinators do is also coaching and so in this transfer porter world is this staff able to go out and find diamonds in the rough like we like when you look at like I just decided to pull up the on three transfer portal rankings when you look at the wide receivers that were available this offseason, Des Walker destroying the ACC was ranked as the 10th best transfer. Keon Coleman ranked as the 12th best transfer at wide receiver. When you look at the quarterbacks, like DJU left Clemson, went to Oregon State. That was the fifth best quarterback transfer according to on three's ranking. You know, Shadur Sanders transferred. Caden uh, Slovis transferred. Like there's names out there, not necessarily at the top, there's names all throughout the top 10, top 15 of the transfer portal that you can go out there and get and can be really effective pieces that help elevate a program, take the next step. And it's a matter of like, look, Dabo, you can say what you want, but at some point you're going to need to change your tune and you need your coordinators to be able to sell that message. Because I do think one of the biggest concerns that I would have if I was in a position of leadership in the Clemson Athletic Department is the fact that players look at what Clemson's doing, look at, hear what Clemson is saying, specifically what Dabo is saying, and that they no longer consider that message top tier. With what we're going to see happening next year across all of college football, with SMU entering the ACC, with the rest of the ACC, you know, we don't know what's going to happen at UNC. We know Florida State's reloading. Clemson is no longer an automatic get for the best players in the ACC year after year. And that to me is very concerning and it is, should be something that these coordinators have to have a focus on. They need to go out and hammer the best prospects in the country, both uh, from high school and in the transfer portal and convince them to come to Clemson because right now the, the recruiting rankings for Clemson are not tops in the ACC. Those honors belong to Miami and Florida state and that's a slippage that compounded with what we know about the coaching situation there might be too much to overcome to get Clemson back at that national championship level that they aspire to be at. Yeah, I completely agree. This season kind of lost for Clemson. We'll see if they can uh, turn it around next season. Now I want to shift focus to a team that right now is in pole position to make the ACC championship game, the top, the most likely team to play Florida State. That's the Louisville Cardinals, a team that we talked about early this season as being on the, 
you know, mid-tier, lower mid-tier, something like that. And then pretty quickly we said, okay, they could be like upper mid-tier. But neither of us actually thought that they would have a realistic shot at making it to the ACC championship game. And now they are in phenomenal position to do that. They beat Notre Dame, 10th ranked in the country. They beat Duke, 20th ranked in the country at the time. Their only loss on the entire season is against Pitt. Uh, my Panthers defeated Louisville 38 to 21, inexplicable, but they did it. Uh, but besides that, I mean, Louisville is seven and one. Crucially, they're four and one in the ACC. And in the remaining four games, they have Virginia Tech, Virginia, Miami, and then a non-conference game against Kentucky. They have a phenomenal chance at playing Florida State in the ACC championship. What a remarkable turnaround for Louisville. Yeah, I'm impressed i have to give all my props to you Corey. you have been on top of this one-year transformation that's happened there with that coaching staff with that program building it's been a better fit than i think anybody could have imagined and if you take a look at their sp uh, sp plus rankings across the board they're 24th in the country they are 32nd on offense 19th in defense 41st in special teams none of those numbers are spectacular but it just shows how balanced they are across the board. Obviously, the defense is leading the way a little bit. But in the ACC especially, I think we often lose sight of how hard it is to be consistent across all three facets of offense, defense, and special teams. And just how good being consistent can get you, not just in the ACC, but in college football in general. Because... I think the pathway to a lot of these quick rebuilds for smaller programs has been become very good at one side of the ball and then hope that the other side of the ball can reload in four-year cycles to be, you know, good or or very good. And Louisville has kind of shown that, like, look, it's definitely harder to do it this way, but you don't need to be great at one particular thing in order to have a very good program. And it is, to me, always been what's been so beautiful about the ACC is that you don't have to come into this conference and build a juggernaut on one side of the ball. You just have to be able to solidify your program's foundation and be consistent across the board, and you will naturally rise to the top. Now, do I think that Louisville could necessarily beat Florida State you know, in a one-on-one game if they, if they played 10 times? No, I think Florida State wins that game eight times out of 10. But that's not how football works. (laughs) And the coaching staff does so much heavy lifting in terms of matchup building in these these big games that you could theoretically talk yourself into a situation where Louisville makes it to Charlotte and gives Florida State a hell of a game. And I think that, to me, should be a blueprint for the rest of the conference teams that are saying, how how do we get to this next level? You, You find the right program fit. And you try to be consistent across the board instead of trying to, you know, reinvent the wheel and become, you know, like Iowa with an elite defense or UNC with an elite offense. Yeah, it, it's really been an incredible thing to watch. And again, I, I, as you mentioned, I was and have been higher on Jeff Brown than a lot. I, I think what he did um, in Indiana was pretty incredible uh, when you consider really the cap that there is uh, on uh, the Purdue program. And I I really think that there's something to be said about having a coach who understands a program and understands a city and understands an area. And for someone like Jeff Brom, who's born and raised in Louisville, who went to Louisville, uh, who started his head coaching career for the Louisville fire of arena football. Uh, you know, so I, I just think there's something there. And, and I also think that Scott Satterfield is not a very good coach. And I think that was just such an upgrade, but you said something that I thought was, was fascinating that I hadn't thought of before, which is that thing about, when you're building up a program and typically focusing on one aspect. And that's completely true. We just talked about Clemson. They built it up through their defense. And then on the years that their offense can catch up, they're great. Uh, Right now we're looking at my program. So built on the defense under Pat Narduzzi. And then, yeah, okay. Every now and again, you'll have a great offensive season. Kenny Pickett's going to be a Heisman finalist, but for the most part, they're not there. Louisville as of right now, and this is just the first season under Jeff Brom, they really seem to be building in a completely balanced way. Their defense is really good. They've had some phenomenal defensive stands 
throughout this season in multiple games. Their running game, uh, Jawar Jordan, is absolutely spectacular. He is so talented, and their running game is great. Jack Plummer in the passing game, they do a good job. This is not just a a one-trick pony kind of team, and because of that balance, I think that they are in a phenomenal position to make the ACC championship game and then give Florida State a run for their money. I mean, we'll see. I think Florida State right now looks significantly better than anyone in the ACC, but I don't think it's impossible that Louisville could win that game because of how balanced they are. And it really is incredible. And to their credit, they, yes, they've had a weak schedule, but they've beaten the teams in front of them. They've had two very difficult games against Notre Dame and and uh, against Duke. And they've won both of those games pretty handedly. I mean, neither of those games were close or came right down to it. Notre Dame had a bunch of turnovers that game. They won by 13, but it wasn't particularly close. And then Duke, they shut out and won 23 nothing. Their only slip-up was against Pitt. And again, that can happen to the best of them. That happened to Clemson the year they won the national championship. So I think this Louisville team is very good. And they're also benefiting from a position where they don't have to play North Carolina. They don't have to play Clemson. And I'm not even saying that they would lose to those teams if they played them. There's a decent chance that Louisville is better and would beat both North Carolina and Clemson. But they don't have to play them. They just have to face the teams in front of them. They've beaten all of them except Pitt so far. And coming up, very winnable games against Virginia Tech, UVA, Miami. And if they win those three, there's there's no doubt about it. They are in the ACC championship game. Yeah, I'm genuinely impressed with the one-year turnaround. I do think maintaining this, especially with how reliant they've been on the portal to fill in key positions, is going to be intriguing. But as I just got done talking about with Clemson, like the portal has depth all up and down it. And so it's a situation where if you're smart about this, which I, I think Jeff Brom is, you can supplement lackluster high school recruiting with portal ads in key positions. And so it's going to be an interesting off season for me. I think Louisville is definitely in the driver's seat to go to the ACC title game at this point in time, which is wild to me, uh, but I love it. And their off season is going to be one of the most fascinating for me in the conference, if only because they have established that, they can do this the right way and in a sustainable way. So what does that look like? Especially like, I know we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit once we get to the game previews. There are other programs here that look like they are about ready to blow this thing up and start rebuilding just as the conference is about to expand. And I think that a lot of people are going to look at Louisville as the model for what they want to get. And it's going to be a lot harder to execute on that than they are going to than they anticipate. Absolutely. Uh, situations such as Jeff Brom returning to his home program are few and far between. Not too many uh, examples out there. Let's move on to a team that we expected at this point would be eight and O and competing for an ACC championship bid and perhaps even hoisting the trophy and now they have fallen and they can't get up. That's the North Carolina Tar Heels. UNC was six and oh. And since then they lost against Virginia 31 to 27, a Virginia team that is two and six on the season. And then they come out the next week and you're thinking, okay, yeah, it was one slip up, but they can bounce back. And then they lose to Georgia tech 46 to 42. This North Carolina team has completely stumbled and they went from again what should have been 8 and 0 about to be 9 and 0 against Campbell into a squad that doesn't look like they're going to make the ACC Championship game. They certainly could have Louisville falters and if they win out against Duke and against Clemson. But man, what happened in North Carolina's promising season? I this defense is just a mess. I I know that, you know, it's Gene Chizik, there's lots of conversations as to what to do with a big name coordinator in this situation. But like, come on guys, this is Virginia is not a good ACC team. I'm sorry, Georgia tech. I can almost forgive a little bit more because I do think that there might be something happening down there. We'll, we'll see. Um, that game was also by the way, born in uh, another coach who, who came through that program. Who's leading it in Brent key. Yes, exactly. And uh, there's, a lot here to not like about these last two games post game win expectancy, you know, the Georgia tech game, they got thoroughly outplayed, 
But the the UVA game was one that you know their post game win expectancy was seventy one percent, and they they lost it by four points. Like this is you had your fluky loss, but then you followed it up with a game where you resoundingly got outplayed. That's on coaching. I think that there's been a lot of questions about how long this Mac Brown experiment would last in UNC, especially now that Sam Howell has, is is on his way out. I don't necessarily know if UNC is in the best position right now to say they want to run it back with what could be a rebuilding year under Mac Brown and Gene Chizik at the helm. And I'm not a hundred percent sure that this is a program that is on the upswing holistically. Like I would be worried that with what Duke is doing in state uh, with, you know, you already have UNC there or NC state rather uh, they have obviously the big win this weekend. Uh, There's, a lot to be concerned about if you're a Tar Heel fan long term, if they don't write the ship to end the year. And I don't know if, again, we'll have to see what happens. There's a lot of, there's still a lot of football left to be played. I could see them very well losing two more games on their way out. And that would be disastrous considering how they started the season. Yeah, there is a very real chance, as you mentioned, that they end this season eight and four after starting six and zero, oh, and that would be a mess. And and you're right, it it comes down entirely to the defense. The, Sam Howell can only do so much, but allowing 31 points from Virginia and 46 points from Georgia Tech, you just can't do it. The only game that they've actually played well on defense is you could make a case that it's really just Syracuse. That's the only time that their defense has actually played well. I mean, they gave up 17 to South Carolina. They gave up 30, uh, 34 to App State. Granted, that went to double overtime, but still. They only gave up 13 to Minnesota, but Minnesota's offense is atrocious, so that's not particularly good. They gave up 24 to Pitt, and Pitt's offense is a mess. They gave up 31 to Miami, and then, then the two losses I just mentioned. I mean, one game that their defense has actually played well. They only need, like, a decent defense, and they could be competing for an ACC championship, but it's been pretty abysmal. And as you said, I think there are going to be some bigger questions in terms of what are they doing exactly at North Carolina? Because if the defense isn't there and the offense is pretty much just Sam Howell – and he's going, what are they going to have left next year? But, man, an absolute collapse from North Carolina, a team that I was convinced was way by far the second-best team in this conference, and now they've completely stumbled down. Yeah, they have the talent to be the second-best team in this conference. They just haven't put it together. And But to be fair to the people that said it, like this was the concern with Mac, bringing Mac Brown back. You knew that he was going to get names. You knew he was going to recruit. You have no idea what he was actually going to do with talent on the field because this is what happened at Texas. He was given all the keys to the to the best prospects and to the best facilities in the ACC. At his case, it was in in the Big Twelve, and he ultimately kind of only managed eight to ten win seasons when they felt like they should be going eleven and twelve win seasons. And if that doesn't describe what North Carolina has been the last few years. Like, I don't know what else to describe it as. So they're in a position where I feel like they've reached their potential with this current situation and it might be time to move on and find someone else. I just don't know necessarily who that is going to be. Can all things considered with the way that there's still so much uneasiness with conference realignment and the 12 team playoff coming into play next year. Uh, it's it's going to be really interesting to see how Mac Brown and, and his coaching staff decide to handle their next steps once the season ends. Right, because certainly you could make a case that if you get to, say, nine wins and only have one, maybe two conference losses, you get into an ACC championship game, maybe you win it, you're in the playoff, and you know anything can happen from there. So interesting crossroads for North Carolina. One more program I want to talk about before we break, and then we'll talk about some games this weekend. Uh, and that is the team at the top of the conference. We haven't talked about them because it hasn't been too surprising what they've been able to do. But Florida State continues to roll. They uh, their, their biggest matchup in the last couple of weeks was against Duke, a team with a very good defense. And for a little bit, Duke was looking good. They were up 20 to 17 going into the fourth quarter. But then Florida State took over and they scored, I believe, 21 unanswered points in that fourth quarter. They ended up winning 38 to 20. They had no trouble with Wake Forest. They had no trouble with Syracuse. They've got four games left, only two of them in conference. Uh, 
So it doesn't seem like there's any doubt that Florida State is going to the ACC championship game. But for them, their mission goes beyond that. Their mission is to win the ACC championship. Their mission is to get into the playoff and win a national championship. How do you think they are positioning themselves? Again, their upcoming schedule is Pitt, Miami, North Alabama, and Florida. Then, again, almost definitely an ACC championship game, perhaps the playoff. How do you think they're positioned to achieve that ultimate goal? Yeah, I. if you look at their schedule to date, uh, if you go by, by SP Plus's win expectancy, uh, a metric that I've mentioned before that I really like, there's only been one game where the win expectancy for Florida State has been below 96%, and that was the Clemson game, which was their closest and hardest game of the season. Like They have just been absolutely dominating everything that you put in their path at this point. And I say all that because if you look at the college football playoff rankings, they were number four. And with as unimpressive as the end of the year schedule is based off of ranked teams, you have a legitimate concern that they probably need to win out both regular season and conference title game to get to the playoff. Because if you you look around the college football landscape, there are two big 10 teams in the current top four of the playoff and banging on the door behind Florida state is a no loss Washington team and a one loss Oregon state team. Um, and that's not including the sec teams that are lurking behind them. Like I have a very hard time believing that a Florida state team that loses to say Miami or Florida gets all that much respect from the college football playoff committee. When you're talking about say a one loss Ohio state or Michigan that has lost to that other team or a Georgia team that has lost only Alabama or a Washington team that has lost to Oregon an Oregon team. That's only lost to Washington. Like the, the comparative losses just don't go in LA go in Florida state's favor. Um, I'm, it really sucks to say that, but it, the reality of the situation is that Miami is just not very highly regarded, and that is entirely of their own doing. Uh, and Florida is a much weaker SEC program than anybody expected. There's nothing. There's not a whole lot you can do about that if you're Florida State. Um, that should be a marquee win opportunity for you, and instead you're expected to handle business. So I fully anticipate Florida State winning out. Like I think that this team is incredibly talented. But it does appear, again, lots of football left to be played. It does appear as if Florida State has to walk a tightrope from here until the end of the year if they want to be in the playoff. Yeah, it's very tricky because we always talk about this every year. Does a team have to win out? If they have one loss, are they going to get in? And usually things work out. Usually the puzzle pieces fall into place because – one team that might be on the bubble ends up losing at the last minute. That happened last year with USC. Everyone was saying, oh, he's going to be dropped. And then USC loses the Pac-12 championship and they're out and there are no questions about it. Right now, it looks like Georgia, as long as they win the SEC, that they're going to be in. It looks like the winner of Michigan, Ohio State is going to be in. Now, again, all of that could be messed up if they say lose the championship game and, and then it becomes a little bit bonkers. The Washington, Oregon, whoever wins the Pac-12, at least I should say if it's one of those two at this point, I think would be in if they don't lose another game, at least in Oregon's case. They are buoyed by the fact that Texas and Oklahoma have now both lost. And so they are now they are not the lowest. They haven't been. It's always been the Big 12 that's been the lowest, but they are not the lowest uh, ranked championship contender playoff contender out of these conferences so right now the winner say texas and oklahoma both win out there's certainly a case to be made that that florida state would stay in but if florida state does lose that game yeah now you're talking about the sec is going to have a team in over them say and again this is hypothetically say florida state loses a regular season game but then wins the acc championship then of course there's also the thing they go 12 and 0 and lose the acc championship i think they're probably out then um, yeah, but we'll see. Uh, and yeah, so you're talking an STC team's going to be in a big 10 team's going to be in pac 12 teams, probably going to be in unless Oregon and Washington both collapse. So now are you going to take a one loss Florida state ACC champ or a one loss Texas or Oklahoma big 12 champ? Neither conference has looked particularly deep this year. 
Texas does have a big win over Alabama, so I think they might get an edge over Florida State. Um, you know, I don't know. It, it could come down to it. Ultimately, I don't want to get too in the weeds now because it usually does fall into place. But as you said, Texas does – or excuse me, Florida State does have to be a little bit worried. They cannot afford room for error. Yeah, the – Concern that I have with Florida State right now is just based off of the fact that if you look, look at the teams that are above them, you expect them to win out. And if you look at the teams below them, you expect one of them to win out. But very rarely does what we expect actually happen in college football down down the stretch here. There's going to be some chaos. There's going to be something interesting happening. Florida State just needs to hope it doesn't happen to them. Uh, and then they're they're going to be fine. But again, it's college football. It's why we love this sport. It's why the playoff race is so interesting. But if I was a Florida State fan, this would be the year that I would really want the 12-team playoff instead of the 14-team playoff. Absolutely, because they're going to be holding their breath for – and the loser of Michigan-Ohio State, yeah, they won't be in the Big Ten Championship, but they will likely be 11-1 and sitting there saying, hey, what about us? So, yeah, I don't know. There's a chance that, that a team that doesn't even play in a conference championship could uh, could slip in there. So we're going to take a quick break. Then we'll come back in just a few moments, talk about some of the games this upcoming weekend. Stay with us. You're listening to Action Packed on the Fans First Sports Network. We are back here on Action Packed on the Fans First Sports Network. I am Corey Cohen. He is Andy Pregler. Andy, let's get into some of the games this weekend. So starting on Friday night coming up, we've got Boston College versus Syracuse. This is an interesting matchup because Syracuse started off strong 4-0. Your Orange have struggled, particularly the offense. 14 points, 7 points, 3 points, 10 points. Boston College don't look down, but they're five and three. Now we talk about strength of schedule. It's pretty darn weak with Boston College, but two of their three losses are actually very excusable in Florida State and Louisville. So I don't know. Boston College now looking like they could advance to six and three against your Orange this weekend. What do you think about this matchup on Friday? This this is dangerous, and I think it's an anxiety-producing game for both coaches. So there is a good chance this is the last winnable game on Boston College's schedule here and their last chance at making a bowl game. On the other side of the ball, the last game that Syracuse played was a Thursday night game at Virginia Tech. It's a tough environment to win at, but Syracuse spent three hours getting absolutely taken behind the woodshed by both Virginia Tech and the commentators and there is a resounding conversation taking place in Syracuse that Dino Baber should be moved off of from the season because of his contract expiring at the end of next year. And you can't really have a lame duck coach in today's modern uh, coaching world with NIL and uh, transfer portals and recruiting cycles. It, you, you need to have a coach with some stability. So for me, this is an interesting situation where I think if Boston College doesn't make a bowl game this year, Halfley's on the hot seat. And this is their last real chance to get a win and guarantee a bowl. And if you're Syracuse, if you lose this game, I think Dino Babers is is absolutely fired. Uh, So it has a lot of layers of intrigue here where I think both coaches are going to bring their A game. But in terms of what to expect, the Syracuse Orange offense is banged up in skill positions outside of quarterback. And they're going to need Garrett Trader to have the game of his life. Uh, in order to win this game, plain and simple. The the receivers have just been atrocious. Uh, the the passing attack and the scheme has been a mess. They they need to run the ball in order to win. And and conversely, if you're Boston College, the Syracuse defense has been yet to stop anybody who runs right at them. So this feels like a game where the tougher team in the trenches is going to win. And I do think that that says a lot about the mental toughness of both teams and the ability for, you know, if Boston college gets a six wins, be a, be a tough out for the rest of their schedule. And for Syracuse, the rest of their schedule is infinitely winnable. If they beat this Boston college team by running the ball and establishing the trenches on both sides of the ball, I think that it opens up the potential for Syracuse to find that sixth win and, and go bowling and save Dino Babers this season. So I'm, fascinated with how both teams try to attack and impose their will on the other team that is expected to be a bit of a mess. 
Yeah, this game is going to be really interesting. I still can't exactly tell what Syracuse is because, yes, they, they got crushed in three of those four games, or excuse me, in four of those games, but three of those games, everyone was expecting them to get crushed. Clemson, North Carolina, Florida State are still very talented, and I'm sorry to say it, more talented than, than Syracuse. Oh, the, yeah. only, <laughs> the only outlier was the Virginia Tech game. And you can really look at the upcoming schedule in two different ways. Boston College, Pitt, Georgia Tech, Wake Forest. You could look at that and say, okay, Syracuse had one bad game against Virginia Tech, but they can win out. They can win four more games, eight and four season, really good. Dino Babers, give him a contract extension. And outside of the one Virginia Tech game on the road at Lane Stadium on a Thursday night, they had a good season and they beat the teams they were supposed to beat. Syracuse is one of these better teams in the ACC. That could absolutely happen. But on the other hand, they could lose to Boston College. They could lose to a bad Pitt team. They could lose to Georgia Tech, and they could lose to a bad Wake Forest team. I would not at all be surprised if they lose three or four of those games, in which case uh, I'm in agreement that Dino Babers would not be back next year. So, man, I just don't know what to think because I I can't really – condemn them or hold them responsible for the Clemson, the North Carolina or the Florida state games, even after the struggles that Clemson and UNC have had, they are still very, very good. And the only game that Syracuse looked like a bad football team was against Virginia tech. Outside of that, they just look like what they should be a weaker team than the three most talented squads in the conference. Yeah, they, Knew that stretch was coming, and the fact that they got the bye week after that stretch is, I think, why the Virginia Tech loss felt like yeah. a canary in the coal mine. Now, whether whether it is or not, it, we're going to have to wait and see. But I I think that when you look at all those games, on the on the flip side, my, my argument is like, oh man, Pitt seems to have kind of recovered after they've made the, the switch at quarterback, and that game's at a neutral site where. Syracuse is expected to travel well, but the the fan sentiment is so low. Like I wouldn't be surprised if there's more Pitt fans in New York than there is Syracuse fans. You look at the Wake Forest game, like it's it's senior night. It's the last game in the dome for the season. Those games rarely go well for Syracuse, which is a really sad thing to say. They have to go on the road to play Georgia Tech. I will be at that game. I have yet to see Syracuse football win in person in a long time. It's cursed, but also Georgia Tech looks really good right now. Uh, and the whole thing screams to me, this is when you find out what your coaches are. Like, this is when you figure out how well they are at game prep, how well they are at getting kids to, to come back after tough losses. And that's why I think for me, this is so evaluative of Dino Babers and, and why the results will directly correlate to whether he's back at Syracuse next year or not. Yeah, we'll certainly see. That's Friday night on ESPN2, Syracuse uh, three-point favorites for that. Let's look at Saturday. Noon kickoff on ABC, Notre Dame against Clemson. Notre Dame 15th ranked by the playoff committee, Clemson 4-4. and But what's interesting is Clemson only three-point underdogs to a Notre Dame team that has looked really good. Yes, they lost to Louisville, but Louisville, again, a very good football team. They barely lost to Ohio State. They're just coming off molly whopping Pitt 58 to 7. The week before that, they crushed USC 48 to 20. Are you surprised that Notre Dame are only three point favorites against this four and four Clemson squad? A little bit, but at the same time, we've seen this Notre Dame offense really struggle against elite defenses, specifically elite defensive fronts where you can pressure Sam Harmon pretty consistently or Hartman pretty consistently, and you can stuff uh, the, the running attack. I do think that it is underrating the Notre Dame defense a bit because I'm very concerned about the Clemson offense scoring more than 20 points in this game. Uh, And I think that the Notre Dame offense is still good enough to do the same against Clemson. But, you know, you start, you start really looking at the stats and you look at what the teams have done collectively over the season and you understand why the line is three, but then you look at the re you know, to use a soccer term here, you look at the recent form Notre Dame does seem to have found their second gear that you need to get into this time of the year. Meanwhile, Clemson, a team that has basically patented that over the last few years under Dabo Sweeney, seems to be regressing and really stalling out here. So I understand why the line is the line. 
I just think that if you look at recent performance, it does seem a bit confusing to say that these teams are as close as the spread indicates. Yeah, Notre Dame, as you said, they really seem to have figured it out. I think they're a great football team. I think they have one of the best defenses in the country. And really the only time that we've seen them let up a little bit, you could argue NC State allowing 24 points uh, and then Louisville allowing 33 points. But again, Louisville, a very good team. But holding USC to 20 points, I mean, to me, that's very impressive. And I, 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 I'm in agreement that Sam Hartman is fallible, but I just don't think Clemson will be able to handle Notre Dame. I could be very wrong. I maybe they turn things around and and Dabo's focused and the team sort of rallies and they say, yeah, now we're going on a run and we're going to do what no one thought we could and we're going. We've got a home game and we're going to win here in Death Valley. But I don't know. Dabo seems rattled. He's busy arguing with Tyler from Spartanburg. You know, it's just it's not a good situation that the Tigers are in right now. So I, I think Clemson has that one. That game is Saturday at noon on ABC. One more game we really want to talk about coming into this weekend, and that is going to be Virginia Tech versus Louisville. Because as we've talked, Louisville is in pole position for the ACC championship game. Virginia Tech is right behind them. They have only lost one conference game. Now they've played one fewer, so they're three and one compared to Louisville, who's four and one. But if Virginia Tech wins this conference game and then they just win out against fairly weak competition, Boston College, NC State, Virginia, they're in the ACC championship game. They're four and four right now. The Hokies could be eight and four and playing Florida State in the ACC championship game in Charlotte. We've completely slept on them, maybe rightfully so. I'm not sure. But Virginia Tech, if they just win this game, there's a good chance they're playing for the championship, and we haven't even mentioned them really once in this podcast. I mean, nor should we. You know, they played a weird game against Old Dominion to start the year, uh, and then they lost to a Purdue team that we know is bad. They lost to a Rutgers team that we know is aggressively average. And they lost to a very inconsistent Marshall team that can be anywhere from good Sunbelt or whatever conference that they're in that's in the group of five to very bad conference uh, uh, team in the group of five. Like Marshall's remarkably inconsistent. And then they, what they have done, though, is since ACC play started – found some level of consistency. And I think one of the things that is really obvious about this Virginia Tech team that I saw during the the Syracuse beatdown, but also just kind of watching some of their other games, they do a very good job of of stopping the pass, and they do a very good job of establishing the run. Um, Those are two things that if you look at where football's kind of going, you know, if you start at the NFL and work your way down – we're seeing that that recipe allows teams to kind of reach in terms of their overall potential and then net results because so many offenses feel the pressure to pass on early downs in order to get ahead of the chains that if you can stop teams on first and second down passing situations, you end up putting yourself in a very good position to get the ball back in decent field position. And then if you can control the clock with the running game, you are basically making another team chase the game, playing into your strengths. And I I do think that this Virginia Tech team is not elite and not as good as this Louisville team is, but there's a recipe here for success. Now, the problem with that is, as we talked about earlier, Louisville is very happy handing the ball off to their running backs and saying, okay, you shut down our passing attack. We have a pretty solid running game that we feel confident in. Like, I think Virginia Tech is a team that can beat bad teams and can beat one-dimensional teams. I don't necessarily think that they can beat a balanced team. And Louisville is the most balanced team in the conference. It's just just one of these situations where I think the matchup very much favors Louisville. Although all things being even, if Louisville is just another ACC team, this is a game that they lose and throws the ACC into chaos. Yeah, there's a an extremely real possibility of that because we agree that Louisville is very good, but they lost to Pitt, and Pitt is not a good team. And there's a, a very real chance that they could lose here. They're nine-and-a-half-point favorites, 
and I think that they take care of business. I'm certainly not a believer in Virginia Tech because that's a team where you can look at and say, yeah, they have three ACC wins. They've got four wins total. One is against Old Dominion. One is against Pitt. Again, not a good team. One is against Wake Forest, not a good team. And one is against Syracuse, who may not be a good team. So we really have no idea what to make of Virginia Tech. It doesn't help that this game is in Louisville. If it were at Lane Stadium, I might give the Hokies more of a chance. But I think Louisville wins this one pretty comfortably. It's just bizarre the Virginia Tech sitting at four and four because of how everything's worked out with Miami blowing two games, really blowing one game, but you know, losing two, North Carolina losing two, Duke has lost multiple, Clemson. Now it's probably either Louisville or Virginia Tech to make it to the ACC championship game. Absolutely bonkers year in this conference. It's one of these seasons that really feels like the entire conference wanted to join the coastal. Like they kept seeing every year that, Oh, Hey, all you need to do is be slightly above average and you can win the coastal. And so once they got rid of the coastal, it just embodied everybody that wasn't Florida. State. Yeah. It was like the blob. It just expanded to the rest of the <laughs> conference. And uh, yeah, it just so weird. So weird, but we love it. Uh, we want to talk about a couple more things before we go. Let's talk about our power rankings. So we talked about these teams it is complicated, but we have seen a good body of work. I think we're both in agreement, Florida State number one. Let's yeah. start with number two. Are we in agreement that Louisville at the moment is number two? Yeah, yeah. They are the second best team in this conference pretty pretty consistently. I think that they're going to end the year number two in my power rankings regardless just because they are so balanced and consistent. To me, that that speaks volumes about the, about the team and the program, and I, and I value that a lot. So now let's talk about number three. We could go a few different ways on this. Who do you have as number three in your power rankings? I thought about a few different things here. I am going to put Miami. I don't love the way that they're winning games. They, they, you know, they almost lost to Virginia. That Georgia Tech game still rings true. But these are both games where when you look at the stats, when you look at what Miami's doing, they're incredibly talented and they should not be two and two in conference. They should be three and one and in conference and they should have beat Virginia, Virginia by a lot more, but it's just, it's just a coaching situation. Like they're always going to be hamstrung by their coaching situation. So I fully intend on dropping Miami at some point here, but I think that they're the third most talented team in the conference. And right now that's enough to vault you over some teams that I have serious questions about. That's extremely fair. I, even though their defense is atrocious, I'm going to keep North Carolina there in the three spot, or I should say move them down from two to three. I'm going to keep them there, but uh, I mean, part of it is that head to head, they did beat Miami, but I, I don't feel great about it, but they did beat the Hurricanes. And even though these two losses have been brutal, I, I kind of think that they get right. They beat Campbell. I think they beat Duke and Clemson is kind of on the ropes. Maybe they beat them, NC State. Like, I think they can get back on track. So I'm going to have UNC at number three. I'm then going to just jump right into it because I've got Miami number four. A lot of the reasons that you mentioned, I just very close with UNC. Miami, all things considered, as you mentioned, they shouldn't be six and two. They should be seven and one, if not for Mario Cristobal's decision that was still baffling. I think... That North Carolina win, or the loss for Miami, I think, edges North Carolina. So I've got the Tar Heels at three. I've got the Canes at four. Who do you have it for? I actually have UNC, like, flipped there. I, I think that UNC is going to get right against Campbell. And then during the end of the season, it's going to be, do they finish in the top five for me, or do they do they just drop out because that defense is is so bad? And I think that, for now, they are better than the team that I'm going to put five. But by the end of the year, these two situations could fundamentally change. So a lot of different options for five. You could go Virginia Tech. You could go Georgia Tech. You could go Duke. You could go Boston College. You could go Clemson on talent. You could go any number of places. Who are you going to pick for number five? I'm putting Duke there for now just because it's really obvious that this Duke team would be winning more games and more competitive with Riley Leonard healthy. It is, it's really silly to say like, Oh, well, of course every team would be, would be uh, better with a better quarterback play. Like that's obvious, but 
it's just this Duke team is so good on defense. They are so good at simplifying the offensive game plan, uh, even though they are incredibly one-dimensional right now. I I think that that loss to Louisville was deserved. I think Louisville is a better team than Duke, but Duke has a chance to get things right against Wake Forest this weekend, kind of show that they can beat up on the lower tier of the ACC. And then they go on the road to North Carolina in a game that I'm incredibly excited about because I think that that will show a lot about both teams as they go in with major question marks. Yeah, Duke's another one where they, they've lost three games now and everyone's kind of saying, okay, their season's done, but really they could very well finish nine and three in the regular season. And everyone's talking about, Oh, they're incredible. The defense is amazing. Mike Elko's a great coach and all that. That would not at all be surprising to me because two of those three losses are incredibly understandable. They barely lost to Notre Dame. It took until the very end Florida state. Okay. Yeah. You're going to lose that game. It was in Tallahassee and then Louisville. I agree. Louisville's a better team than them, but I think, they should, but we're recording this shortly before they play Wake Forest on Thursday night. We'll see how that goes. I think they should beat Wake Forest with a new quarterback because Riley Leonard is injured. And then we'll see if they can get things going. Maybe they beat North Carolina and then they should beat Virginia and Pitt. I think at a minimum, they finish this season eight and four. And I think there's a good shot they can finish nine and three. So right now I've got them at five and maybe even a chance to to climb up still. Yeah, I, I think that this is one of the interesting chaotic teams in the ACC, if only because their floor is so high that you could really see them doing a lot uh, on an off night in, against other teams in the, in the conference. Completely agree. So before we go, the ACC came out with their new scheduling format. Now that they have 17 teams with the addition of Stanford, Cal and SMU, they had to rip up the old format and recreate a new one. The new one gets away from the three-team pods or the four-team pods, and instead they're going to just have protected matchups. So you're going to play every team at least. They they scheduled from here till 2030. I believe it. they set it up so you're going to play every team at least twice in that span, home and home, but some teams you will be playing every year. These are, for the different programs, the protected matchups where we're going to see these games year in and year out. There's essentially a pod between Boston College, Pitt, and Syracuse. All three are going to play each other throughout the year. So they basically have a pod. They're all protected. There's also essentially a pod between the new guys. SMU, Cal, and Stanford are all going to be playing each other each year. In addition to that, Clemson and Florida State are tied together. That game will happen every year. Florida State has Clemson and Miami. No surprise there. Uh, Then you've got um, uh, Virginia and Virginia Tech. Virginia, they'll play each other. Virginia will also play North Carolina every year. Virginia Tech will play Miami every year. Kind of a weird one, but sure. And then the North Carolina teams, interesting ones. Wake Forest has Duke and NC State. NC State has all three of them. Duke, UNC, Wake Forest. North Carolina has Duke, NC State, and Virginia. And then Duke has all three of them. What do you think about these protected matchups in this new format? I'm not against it i think one of the challenges with the acc schedule has always been that some programs feel stronger affinity towards others like i think a great example of this is that syracuse fans would argue that there's probably a stronger affinity with virginia tech than Pitt because of the historical rivalry during the heyday of the syracuse program with virginia tech as opposed to what has always felt like a forced rivalry with Pitt due to proximity more so than actual on the field hostilities but this is the best way of going about protecting that while still opening up the rest of the conference like the fact that florida state and clemson had to play syracuse every year did nobody in that group any favors because florida state and clemson would rather play other sections of the acc than go up north to a weird environment every other year uh, in order to you know facilitate a quote unquote even schedule, I think that there's always going to be a bit of unevenness with these with the overall ACC schedule, just given how large it is. But I I, I think that this is probably the best case scenario, considering how big this conference has gotten, considering how regionalized the conference is within each of its little pockets of the conference. 
And ultimately, I think this will end up making more programs in the middle and bottom of the conference happy than the previous scheduling you know, scenario did. Yeah, it's interesting because you don't want to go too much in one direction or the other. And I think this is probably a good balance of that. You don't want to have a situation where at before really when it was still the divisions where you'd have some teams playing each other every single year. And then some teams where they play each other once every seven years and only at home once every 14 years. So Pitt only got to host Clemson once every 14 years. That's just not workable. But then you also don't want to have it where it's completely regionalized, where you basically just cut it up into half and you just have the North and the South. And then at that point, it's basically just the big East and the ACC. So like, you don't want to have that either. So I think this is a solid compromise where, yeah, the new the new guys are going to be playing each other a lot. I think it does make sense that Pitt, Syracuse, and Boston College are essentially in a pod. I, I think the fan bases overlap, the, the area of the country kind of over, overlaps, so I get it. Meanwhile, then you've got Louisville and Georgia Tech, who they said get no protected matchups, no protected rivalries, not even each other, which is kind of surprising. Uh, so those two programs will not have anything protected, and they're just going to sort of move around. And then the others will play each other in a different number of years. So like over the, from now until 2030 or from next year until 2030, I think Pitt plays Louisville five times, for instance, and they'll play Duke twice. So it'll range anywhere really between two and five based on how it works out. And then, of course, the protected matchups will be all seven years. It's interesting. Some of these, yeah, it's going to be a shame. Like, it's been fun seeing Pitt play North Carolina. That's been kind of enjoyable. I'm kind of bummed that they're not playing Virginia Tech five times in the next seven years because that's another one where I think Pitt-Virginia Tech is kind of a, you know, small budding rivalry there. I think that's either three or four times as opposed to five or even seven. But I get it. Ultimately, there's not too much to complain about. All the obvious ones are in there. And so – that is not, you know, Miami and Florida State are still going to be playing each other every year. Clemson and Florida State are still going to be playing each other. So ultimately, I don't think anyone could be too upset about it. And ultimately, yeah, it's going to work out. Cal and Stanford are going to have to travel a ton. So will SMU. But for the most part, all the fears about the East Coast teams having to travel out West, it's not going to be that common. I think they did a, a pretty good job with this. Yeah, I, I overall applaud the ACC for finding a solution here. I do think the Georgia Tech and Louisville thing is weird, but then you also kind of remember that the, those two fan bases care most about non-conference matchups as opposed to yeah. in-conference matchups. So this gives them a, an added layer of flexibility if they need it. You've also got that Notre Dame thing that's floating around that was really kind of unaddressed and is still looming large over things. So there's the, the I think the biggest win for everybody in this format is that it is entirely flexible enough to be completely ripped up and changed and not really upset anybody. (laughs) That's very true. And who knows? I mean, they schedule this out to 2030. I think the conference stays this way until 2030. Like I think we're done with this round of realignment, but who knows at any point, Florida state could just take a big old bag of cash from Saudi Arabia and jump to the sec. Like we have no idea what's happening. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So that will be it uh, for this episode of Action Packed. We apologize. We missed the last couple weeks. We will be back next week. Uh, You can subscribe to the Fans First Sports Network college football feed. That's FFSN college football feed. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Get new episodes of Action Packed and other podcasts delivered right to you. Andy Prankler, please tell people where they can find you and follow you. Yeah, hit me up on at AC Pregler on pretty much every social media form. Again, make sure you subscribe to the feed so you can listen to Level Up, the show that I host with Big G, uh, where we talk about this week's biggest college football matchups from a schematic and statistical perspective. And uh, make sure that you are following me on Twitter and Blue Sky if you're on Blue Sky to watch me melt down when Syracuse inevitably finds a way to make tomorrow's game the most frustrating game possible. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Corey E. Cohen, C-O-R-E-Y-C-O-H-E-N, or on Blue Sky at Corey Cohen. I should go on there more, but I haven't. You can also hear me on Fourth Quarter Chaos, talking about all the most chaotic games of the week. That'll come at the beginning of every week. You can also find me over on Pit Talk Network, talking all things Pit Panthers, and subscribe to them as well wherever you get your podcasts. 
I am going out to Pittsburgh this weekend, Andy. You're home. I'm headed out there. I will see the Seminoles almost certainly win by 50-plus points. And uh, But I'm hoping it'll be a good time in the city that I think both of us love. It's a great time. I was just there this past weekend to watch the Steelers lose to the Jags. So I'm hoping that all that bad juju is gone. Yeah, hopefully that's it. And, uh, and your Steelers can win and my Panthers can win this weekend. In my case, I highly doubt it, but I'm hoping I'm still excited to be out there in uh, one of my favorite Atlantic Coast cities, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Again, thanks so much for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week. Keep it here. Action packed on the Fans First Sports Network.